Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 118 for Monday, December 7th, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is Johnny, also known as Pixel Riffs on the interwebs. Hello, sir. Hello, and if you're also avoiding spoilers for The Mandalorian, then it's fine listening to our Render Distance pre-show conversation today because we we hinted at things, but we didn't go into too much detail. We also talked all about just how we've been getting on lately uh, with our guest. Uh, So if you want to hear more about our guest's uh, day-to-day dealings and how they're dealing with everything, then uh, head over to patreon.com slash thespawnchunks where you can get an extended conversation we call The Render Distance. But without further ado, I should introduce Logical Geek Boy. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Logic was last on the show for episode 28, and we were saying in the in the Render Distance quite how long it's been is kind of a surprise. But who better to come on and talk about what the, uh, the main subject of this episode is going to be, which is this brand new revolution in Redstone that's just popped up in the 1.17 snapshots. Uh, you'll know Logical Geek Boy from a YouTube channel that now has over 100,000 subscribers, where I think the uh the the sort of flagship series on there are the legacy smp and a series called simply minecraft which is a a bunch of no-nonsense survival farms that are just designed to get you uh good results with simple components uh logic welcome back to the show well thank you very much for having me thanks very much for the invite um yeah i was looking back when that when that first um the first time i came on it's, it's almost two years ago i think it's mm. february it's gonna be two years that is a long a long old time but yeah, yeah glad, glad, glad glad to be back yeah, it's been a while since we've been, you know, we, we always look back on having started this show over a two years ago at this point and go, wow, okay, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're getting old. We've been doing this for a little while now, but uh, at least at this point we have cut our teeth and uh, I feel like we've we kind of settled into the, the routine of doing this. Um, so let's start by talking about what's new in our Minecraft lives and as per tradition, uh, the guests should go first. So Logic, tell us all about what you've been up to in Minecraft lately. Well, I guess lately we'll probably cover the last few weeks, but um, the, the big the big thing is we've started a brand new season of Legacy SMP, which is yeah absolutely amazing. So it's um it's our second season, as I said, and we've got some you know some amazing people on that server. I can't tell you. So we've got people like Pelicent Moon, we've got Sly Slime, uh, Mythical Sausage, Skizzle Man, Python, Sloy XP. I think you may you might know him. Pix, I've, I've heard of him. I've heard <laughs> yeah. of him, and a whole bunch of other people. I'm not going to name all of them, but yeah, some really like, top class. Uh, people it's been uh, you know a, a lot of fun and a lot of a lot of time in the planning uh, getting this season up and running so i'm only we're only up to like episode three so it's a really good time to get on get on board the legacy hype train as they say mm-hmm. and yeah we've got some brand new stuff as well we've got like voting so viewers can vote on what happens on the server we've got a new website with an interactive map so you can see the world as we as we build like a 3d map you can zoom in and and, and tilt and move around the map and look at all the dimensions We've got some special advancements and advancement tracking. So uh, the website's connected to the server, so you can see all the advancements we're getting. We've got this special uh, advancement pack with over 800 advancements. So there's a leaderboard <laughs> who's who's the best at getting them. So yeah, just basically legacy has been the uh, the, the big kind of work. Um, and then obviously the last, the last few episodes, I've been building farms as you would expect. So I've got uh, iron farm and a hobbling farm, the last few things I've done. Um, but yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. Um, the people on there are just yeah, fantastic. So yeah, having a, a good old time uh, on the on the Legacy server. I'm impressed that you're on episode three and you're already talking about iron farms and hoglin farms. You guys <laughs> really waste no time. But yeah, well, one one of the good things about this season, so we're trying to do things a bit differently. So what we're doing here is we're doing it where we're all going to share resources. So mm-hmm. we don't all have to build iron farms. We're just going to have one iron farm and that supplies the whole server. And so we've got some people doing um obviously decorative builds we've got a communal storage system um so we can be quicker at uh, progressing 
uh, you know, through the, through through the game because we're we're sort of helping each other. So Skiz has just done a, a gold farm. Um, the Pelican Moon's got a whole bunch of villagers going. So you know, e even though it's quite early on, we're we're making good progress because we're we're work, work, working together. So yeah, it's really good. Nice. Uh, I think it's super cool, especially with the landscape of Minecraft servers on YouTube being what it is and everybody kind of gravitating towards some of the larger servers. It's difficult to stand out. And I know Legacy is a pretty big deal uh, right now, but um, just the fact that you guys are adding all of these extra elements of interactivity and how kind of thriving the community is around like the, the stuff that you're sharing on the website, the advancement tracking and stuff. I think that's really interesting and innovative stuff, which I think is to be expected from the uh, the list of names you've got going on there. But it's it's still really cool to see people doing something a little different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, as I say, it's been great fun. It took a, a long time planning. So we, had, we had season one and then we took we took a long time to uh, get to what we wanted to do for season two, which always trying to think of uh, what can we do that's a bit different? How can we you know, stand out a little bit? You know, we don't want to do the same old thing that other people do. Uh, but still be fun for us to play in and fun for viewers to you know to, to to watch and also get involved with so so far so good and yeah we've got some other plans for the future but i'll, I'll keep them under wraps for now but yeah <laughs> with um with the length of the seasons what like what was the deciding factor to wrap up season one well really that came down to so when we started off with season one obviously we had a whole bunch of folks uh, on there and then through various reasons, um, a number of people went off and did other things and didn't have enough time to do Legacy as well. And so just right. the server activity sort of died down a bit. And so then we're in the position where what we really want to do is get new people on the server, but it's kind of hard and kind of unfair to ask new people to come on when the server's halfway, you know, kind of halfway through its life already. So right. although the season was short, it was, I think it was the right thing to do to start a new season, a new world, new people we just start afresh with some new ideas do things a bit differently um nice so far that's worked out all right so i think we i think we did the right thing and yeah it's been i mean since, since we started i've had so much fun it's just just going on there there's always someone online and yeah if everyone to record with someone or do, or do something with someone you say oh do you want to record a quick clip and then just jump on discord together and just just muck around so yeah it's been uh, yeah it's been great I expect the uh, the landscape of collaborating with people is a little bit different with more people being at home as well. So you'll probably have uh, more opportunities to just like record for five minutes between bits and pieces of here and there. So that's uh, it's it's always nice getting that fresh server smell and everybody still being really excited for it. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Out of curiosity, before we move on, what's the tool that you're using for the 3D map online? Um, so we use a tool called Blue Map, I think it's called. So that's a it's an open source project. Um, that's not something that we've we've written. Um, and without going into too much detail, but basically what happens is we've got a separate server that takes all of the game files from the actual server we play on, and then that hosts the map and generates it. So it doesn't impact oh. our, our, our gameplay at all. So we've got a little bit of tech behind the scenes that make it all smooth and doesn't affect doesn't affect gameplay. Cool. But that, so basically, if you go to the website, um, that map updates every thirty minutes, so it kind of re, it kind of um, regenerates. So you can see in real time, roughly, you know, pretty much real time within thirty minutes of what is actually happening on the server. So there's a there's a fan Discord actually. Links are on the website. But they've got a channel called, I can't remember what it's called, I think it's map 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 finding or map hunting. And they've just got a channel where they're looking around the map looking for things and sort of pointing out, oh, I wonder what this is, you know, and it's actually really generating some, you know, some interest. Um so I've got a few ideas. I might I'm thinking about doing some kind of like almost like a treasure hunt or some kind of some kind of scavenger hunt where I can just hide things on the map. And if people look at the website and try and find those things, it'll take them somewhere i haven't really flushed out exactly how that will work but I think that'd nice. be quite a fun thing to do yeah like like an arg yeah. kind of thing mm -hmm. <laughs> done on exactly. the website yeah. that's, yeah, exactly. that's that's again innovation that's super cool i'd yeah, love to see it 
and you and you say real time and that's and you, you, i know you you kind of like scoffed at that a little bit but really like what can you get done in minecraft in a half an hour like that's that's worth putting on a map not a whole lot so yeah. really every 30 minutes is about right for seeing like decent updates and you know because i mean when someone does a a let's play video it might only be 20 minutes but it's probably a good eight or 12 hours of mm -hmm. gameplay i'm mm -hmm. sure johnny you can attest to that yeah so, yeah you know what so speaking of like what have you been up to uh in minecraft this week well, speaking of uh, SMPs, I've I've started a new one myself, actually. Um, so this came down to uh, on the St. Jude live stream where I was raising money uh, over a few hours and I had milestones set for a certain amount of money we would raise. One of the things I promised I would do was a bonus stream where we played hardcore Minecraft because a lot of people are asking me to do it all the time, but I don't put the survival guide world in hardcore and I don't think it's really very easy to put an existing world in hardcore. You kind of have to start it as a hardcore world. So uh, I figured I would just do like a Dragon Rush kind of, you know, single single player world. And then uh, Liara, who's one of my moderators, member of the Truly Bedrock server, among other things, uh, got in touch and said, hey, some friends of mine from Twitch are just starting this uh, Don't Die December server, which I think Don't Die December is a, a, a challenge people do anyway, where you just start a hardcore world and try and play Minecraft all month without dying. And they decided to turn it into a server. And so she said, why not just join this and you can do your hardcore stream from there and, you know, stick around if you feel like it, but no no pressure or anything. And so I kind of low-key joined that and I was kind of the Sasquatch of the server for a while. I just kind of popped up in the background of people's streams. Like, you know, nobody could quite get a, a non-blurry picture of me for the first little while. Um, but then I ended up doing a stream from it the other day and I've just been playing on and off uh, for the last week and it's been a lot of fun it's been nice being on a multiplayer server again um and it's only mm. going to be for the duration of this month and then the group is gonna maybe pick it up again in like may or sometime when when 116 is kind of in the doldrums we're waiting for 117 and everyone's just kind of looking for something to do to bide their time uh, so in the meantime, I am working on getting a netherite beacon, uh, if you can believe it. Although probably just a tier one netherite beacon because it is only a month and I do want to do something else with my life. But um, yeah, I kind of joked in the, the discord for the server, like, how about we, how about I do a netherite beacon? And then I kind of went, you know what, I probably could if I just stuck to nine blocks of netherite instead of 160. So yeah, I'm I'm doing that. I'm doing a little bit of netherite mining. People are already helping me gather TNT. I've done a bunch of manual mining already. We have four blocks of it done. And yeah, there's just been like in-jokes and stuff all around, which has been super fun and super cool to participate in that. Three of the members of the server have already died uh, and wow. in various ways. Um, I think a couple of them ended up getting killed in a raid and then one of them had a creeper drop on them in a ravine. But outside of that, it seems like most of the, the rest of us have kind of got pretty well geared up. We're probably going to do a dragon fight relatively soon. And uh, it all seems to be going okay. So outside of that, in the survival guide world, I've been working on actually using the museum archive for storage instead of just leaving chests everywhere. Because I set up this giant uh, auto-sorting storage system a while ago and then never filled up any of the item sorters with anything that could filter items and i just sort of left it there thinking well that's a project for a rainy day you know when i've not got anything else going on problem is i've had stuff going on since then um so i've spent the last couple of streams figuring out some of the the categories of items i want to store and it's mostly blocks sorted into different areas so all of the sandstone blocks are in one place all of the terracotta blocks are in one place and I've now got to the point where I can 
uh, drop a shulker box into a redstone contraption that's going to unload it and then eject the shulker box when it's done. So I get separate sorted, uh, you know, inventory and stuff all goes into the sorting system and then shulker boxes pop out empty in a different chest, which is very convenient for me because then I can just leave them there and go and do other stuff. So that's what I've been working on in the survival guide and bits and pieces of other stuff here and there, but that's the main stuff. How about you, Joel? I have been uh, single-minded over the last uh, weekend. I wanted to move down the uh, the medieval realm and start the the gate, the front of the uh, the town where the farms that I've been working on are kind of like out in front of because I was thinking about like how I want to add more farms and more buildings and I thought well I kind of need to know where to stop like I need to know how to divide the area so uh, I knew about where I wanted the gate to be and I ended up finding a really cool piece of art from an artist named by the name of Mule Kim on ArtStation that's just kind of like a it's it's like a a, a it's kind of like a fortified gate but it's not like a castle gate it's not something that looks that aggressive it's got like house stuff attached to it and there's a gatehouse and a cool funky shaped roof and it was different yeah i hadn't seen anything like it in minecraft before so uh i grabbed that and i started working on it and uh very quickly i've i've just been i've been up and down that's that's been my life upstairs downstairs the last three streams because of how tall the build is and how frequently i have to go up change something come back down see how i like it blah 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 uh, but it was been a good experience of doing that uh on stream in real time with uh, a bunch of people hanging out because they got to see how i approach this kind of thing which is usually i rough out proportions i don't want to build it too tall you know i don't want it to look out of scale with everything else in the region and um then i had to then i decided on materials like the whole thing was cobblestone i think i had a lot of spruce on me so it was like cobblestone and spruce and and maybe some some uh dark oak here and there but later on we decided on like more stripped dark oak there's bone block is now involved in it which is a great build for this style of thing uh or great block rather uh and um an awful lot of trapdoors. <laughs> like boy <laughs> boy am i using a lot of spruce trapdoors. uh because i because i don't want this thing to be ginormous and i do want it to have some depth i find that adding trapdoors are just that way of adding that bit of geometric depth to something without adding an entire meter of depth to the wall yeah and and i find that that's been working out quite well actually um even doing little tricks where like you get frustrated where two trap doors can't occupy the same space like you want to do a corner so you have to tuck one trap door in behind on the block behind uh, but it's working out okay like i know that it kind of goes in a weird little zigzag but you really can't tell when you're down on the ground 10 15 blocks below it right like you just you don't even notice it uh, so it's been fun. It's been a learning curve and, uh, I've, I've enjoyed doing like a curtain wall for the first time. Believe it or not, I've never done one of those <laughs> in Minecraft. So I had, I, I had to look up and, um, we were talking in the, in the Twitch chat about like all the proper names for like, you know, curtain wall and like battlement and, uh, they're called not mortars. They're called starts with an M, um, matriculations. No, I think that's what, the what, it's, that's the that's the long version. There's a shorter. Whatever it's called. Yeah, there's a shorter word for it. But anyway, it's it's just it's the kind of thing where 
it was just nice to kind of be able to talk about the uh, uh, Merlins is what I was looking for. The little, the, the, the blocks that you would hide behind if someone was shooting arrows at you. Right, yeah. Um, that, like just knowing all that kind of stuff and refreshing my memory. I used to know this when I was 14, but I long since forgot, <laughs> forgot all of this. Uh, so it's been really cool to, to go back and like make block selections. And I'm trying to go as simple as I can with stuff like a big curtain wall that has to go all the way around the town. You know, I think you probably ran into this with your castle, I think, uh, on on the survival guide, Johnny, is that, you know, like you don't want to do the entire thing textured from top to bottom because it, it would just take forever. Yeah. So I'm going with like little bits here and there, changing the texture from andesite to stone, but mostly it's just a flat stone wall and it works. It, it's, it's not something that you're going to be looking at every detail and it's something you're going to look at and go, wow, that's a really big wall and you're going to keep on going, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, but it's been fun. I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. That's cool. That's cool. I uh, I really like the look of the the art that you're taking the inspiration from, and it seems like you're you've got quite a faithful recreation, whilst also you know working with the the types of materials that you've got easy access to and the stuff that you feel like works for your vision of the world. But yeah, and and we've we've recommended this before, but I can't recommend highly enough if you're looking for a build project, but you're kind of stuck on where to start or what the the look of things should be. Like, go and find some concept art because there are some brilliant artists out there who mm -hmm. produce stuff that actually translates super well to Minecraft. In particular, anything for mobile games, because those those models, those concepts have to be a little bit bloated, like they kind of have to be kind of fat and cartoony, and I yeah. find that those translate a little bit faster. This isn't, but I've, I've bookmarked a lot recently that are, and I think that they'll be a lot easier to, to translate. Moving on into the news, we've got a new snapshot this week to talk about. Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 20W49A. And that includes Skulk Sensors. Introducing the bizarre, tendril-filled world of Skulk. Prepare for Skulk Sensors to creep you out with their unique ability to detect vibrations nearby. A vibration is anything that causes physical motion. If you're, are, if you're careful, there are some motions that are undetectable to sensors by sneaking. Skulk Sensors will not listen to vibrations that are directly created by other Skulk sources. When a vibration is detected, a signal is sent from the source location to the sensor at a speed of one game tick per block. Other vibrations cannot be detected by a sensor when a signal is already traveling to it. When the signal has arrived, the sensor will be activated for 40 game ticks or approximately two seconds. While activated, the sensor cannot detect other vibrations. The sensor is also emits light when it's activated. Skulk sensors can detect vibrations in an eight block radius around the sensor. The efficient tool to mine a Skulk sensor is the hoe, and they can also be waterlogged. With regards to redstone interaction, Skulk sensors emit a redstone signal when they are activated. The strength of the redstone signal is inversely proportional to the distance the vibration signal traveled. In layman terms, it emits a higher signal the closer that you get to it. The output is also scaled based on the Skulk sensor's radius, so it can reach a max redstone signal strength when the vibration is zero distance away, directly on top of the sensor. Skulk sensors have a unique interaction with comparators. Each vibration in the game falls under a certain frequency value. This value can be measured with a comparator. With the right contraption, this allows you to detect when certain actions have occurred nearby, such as footsteps, swinging, blocks being placed or broken, tamed wolves shaking off water, etc. You can see the full list of vibrations 
at the minecraft.net article, which we'll have linked in the show notes. The Skulk Sensor also brings with it a mechanic called Wool Occlusion, where Wool has a special interaction with Skulk Sensors. If a Wool Block is in the way of a source of vibrations, the sensor will not be able to detect it. Beyond that, this snapshot also introduces Dripstone Caves as a biome. We had Dripstone uh, Blocks and Pointed Dripstone in the previous snapshot, but this uh, lets us take a look at what Dripstone Generation would be like, although not in the upcoming cave generation that we're going to be seeing in 1.17. As the changelog says, this biome doesn't generate naturally yet since it's designed for upcoming larger caves. However, if you want to see the biome in the current caves, you can create a single biome custom world with dripstone caves. This contains plenty of pointed dripstone on the floors, ceilings, and in small pools of water. And in some places, you'll find larger stalagmites, stalactites, and columns built from dripstone blocks. I recommend looking at this in a ravine, by the way, for the full effect of what they mean. Uh, as far as technical changes in this snapshot, a new game event system has been implemented to support skulk sensors detecting vibrations. This adds occlude vibration signals block tag, and anything in this tag will occlude vibrations and inherits the wool tag entries by default. So you could, in theory, program custom blocks to operate the same way wool does. Uh, there are new particle types for the vibration and dust color transition, and perhaps one of the standout features of the technical changes, world height related values are now exposed for customized worlds, and they have removed the max build height server setting. Uh, we'll get onto what exactly that entails in a moment, but also a quick reminder for you, uh, Minecraft Dungeons Howling Peaks and the season pass for the next four DLCs for Minecraft Dungeons is due to release Wednesday, December 9th, that is two days from the record date of this podcast, so if you're interested in getting a bit more Minecraft Dungeons action, you want to look ahead to the, pre the, the, the upcoming uh, releases of the DLC for Minecraft Dungeons, make sure to check out that season pass when Howling Peaks launches in a couple of days' time. So we're obviously going to have a lot to say about Skulk Sensors, which I think we're probably going to relegate most of that to our main discussion this week. But I'm curious, uh, Logic, uh, now that we've had a couple weeks of Dripstone, have you had much of a chance to, to mess around with it? What do you think? Uh, I've not played too much around with the Dripstone, but um, anything where it's got potential for farming, I'm, I'm always interested. <laughs> so, you know, when uh, mobs fall on top of the, the Dripstone, um they obviously take damage you can drop it on top of mobs and they uh they take damage as well so there's probably some avenues there that i'll be uh, exploring a bit more detail a bit later on uh, but yeah it certainly looks interesting i think with the the world generation at the moment obviously when it comes out um we'll have bigger caves and things like that um but it still looks interesting in the in the, the, the normal size caves at the moment so yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah what do you make of it being a potential renewable source of lava as well has that kind of got your your farming neurons fired up or are you not sure about it yet um, yeah, I think that is going to be something interesting. It depends, partly some of this stuff, it depends how long it takes to actually do it because like how often do you need lava? Um, depending on what you're doing, you know, you might need a lot, but typically you don't need that much lava typically. So it might just be quicker to go to the nether, grab a couple of buckets and then yeah. come back rather than build a whole contraption and then wait for however long it takes for them to fill up. So kind of depends, I guess. Um, I've seen, I've seen a few, a few people do do some designs for it already so i think it's going to depend on what you're going to need it for if you need a large large amount of lava like if you're going to do some kind of terraforming um that requires yeah if you're going to build like a, a whole um a whole kind of uh, landscape that's covered in lava then really worth building a farm for it but like typically if you need the odd bucket of lava here and there then you can just go and, go and grab it i think 
Yeah, we were talking last week about how lava is one of those things that it's not, you know, it's not renewable, but it is abundant. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like dirt in the way you don't necessarily need to farm dirt in a vanilla world, but maybe that's the kind of thing that will add value to stuff like Skyblock playthroughs, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. If you can generate lava as soon as you get dripstone, then that's potentially a, yeah, yeah. a good way of doing it. But then where do you find dripstone in Skyblock when there are no caves? So, <laughs> like, f fun mechanics to work with there. Um, I think as far as the skulk sensor stuff goes, we're, we're definitely going to keep that for the main discussion. But first impressions, maybe on the design front, um, we've seen a couple of minor changes from uh, what we saw of them at Minecraft Live. I think they they don't react in quite the same way they did at Minecraft Live. There's a couple of animation changes and the kind of waving animation that they had naturally, sort of like kelp plants, has gone away, I think for performance reasons. Um, but like as far as bioluminescence, light sources, um, I think it's a pretty cool look. Um, especially if we see stuff like the glow squid exhibiting a similar behavior, it could be a nice kind of thematic tie-in. And imagining going down into the deep dark where we're presumably still going to find skulk sensors in the wild and having them trigger and kind of light up the area around is gonna be is gonna be pretty atmospheric. What do you guys think? I I think that the the animation for me is a little bit distracting. Like I like that it, I like that it changes when it's activated, but I feel like it's constantly moving above ground, like kelp does. Like I don't know if it's, it might be just because a lot of times what I've seen from people doing videos of it and me playing around with it myself, I only used one at a time. But a lot of the videos I saw, they were creating like platforms of it. You know, like sixty, you know, sixty by sixty fields of of skulk sensors, which to me felt cool looking but also like really distracting and i'm not sure if if it could be made to be like i wonder if it if it only moved when it was active if it would have a, a different effect um but i like the fact that it lights up like i think that's really cool um i think the only thing that they didn't have clear in the notes was that the radius is spherical and they i think maybe they just they meet they always mean spherical when they say radius but uh, I did notice when I was messing around with it that it's definitely spherical compared to like uh, tubular, I guess. Yeah, it's not like a cylindrical kind of thing. It's, cylindrical, yeah. thank you, yes. Yeah, um, I, there's also still no sign of the rest of the Skulk family of blocks. Um, I, I figure the sensors alone are... Um, I, I, I wrote sensory overload and immediately thought, well, that's the show title this week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, the, the, maybe they haven't introduced the rest of the skulk blocks yet because they're either not sure how they behave or they just want people to get used to these and give feedback on these first. And then maybe we'll see the rest of the, the, the skulk family start to creep in. Um, but yeah, looking forward to future snapshots involving some of this. And before we move on to uh, chunk mail and the main discussion, let's talk about world height changes, because I think this flew under the radar for a few people, especially when they saw skulk sensors. They thought, yes, OK, redstone component and didn't I, I for one didn't scroll further down to read. You can now generate a dimension with, a you know, a world height that is about eight times the size of what we currently have. Right. I think the the maximum values for that are. 1024 in both directions so you can have a maximum height of the the uh surface of 1024 but also a depth a negative y value of 1024 as well and good luck having a pc that can do that because most of the people i've seen discussing it said i stopped at 512 because my pc was probably going to melt if it tried to render anything else um so obviously people are excited about this but 
I think we need to consider the technical implications, right? People are thinking, yeah, Minecraft can just have infinitely tall terrain now, but of course that depends a lot on how they're going to handle changes like this on weaker devices specifically. Like, is Mojang going to have to render terrain in larger regions or switch to spherical chunk rendering like the cubic chunks mod uses? And beyond that, we're going to have to think about things like how ore distribution changes if the world is deeper, where does bedrock go to, and what that means for stuff like mob spawning and mechanics that require player radius or perhaps, you know, a good distance from terrain to get different kind of spawning rates for farms and things like that. Uh, Logic, what are your thoughts on world height changes? Um, yeah, I mean, I think anything where it gives us control over it, I think like when we had, um, when they started to introduce like data packs and things like that, where lots of things are then configuration based rather than sort of baked into the game. I think anything like that that gives us control of that stuff is great. Um, I think all the questions you put out there are really good questions. And I think yeah, we'll have to wait and see how those things get answered. Um, but I wonder whether some of this stuff is around giving us more space for the for bigger cave generation, that kind of thing. Um, so that we don't have that much space like underground, really, I suppose, for if you want really like big and, and expansive caves. And also I was thinking about um, the deep dark. Where is that going to be? Maybe that's below below zero, maybe. I mean, who knows? Um, I think it's going to be interesting how that pans out. Yeah, we, we've talked on this show before about what if there were holes in the bedrock and the deep mm. dark actually involves trying to find those gaps where you can actually yeah. break through the bedrock into something else. It seems like a, a pretty fun thing. But yeah, since the the Minecraft live video showed players exploring an environment that was clearly taller than your average cave, it seemed quite likely that they were going to start implementing stuff like this. But I was concerned that maybe it was going to be in a customized world. They'd kind of mocked it up and then we were still going to be stuck with terrain that, you know, tops out at, you know, 60, 70, you know, on the y-axis. And it seems like they are at least toying with the idea and seeing how people handle it. But mm. it's a kind of soft launch for that kind of thing. Maybe just introducing this in a snapshot and seeing if people can find some fun stuff to do in custom worlds in the meantime. Yeah, I guess as well, it kind of lends into the whole mountains as well, because obviously we've got the mountains coming too. So, you know, it means we can have massive mountains. Maybe, you know, if you can, if you've got a PC that can handle it, you can, you can, you can say you want to, you know, higher mountains and deeper caves and, you know, you can get it. Yeah, it's it's all very well having a mountain that tops out at Y two thirty, but then if you've only got twenty six blocks to build on top of that, you exactly. can't really yeah. can't really do a whole lot. I was wondering, you know, when we were talking about this earlier in the year uh, and contemplating what a world height change might mean, I was thinking like, well, you know, if they if they upped the sea level or if they changed something dramatic like that by about twenty blocks, like it wouldn't be the end of the world. I've certainly got weird chunk borders in my Nether right now because of not updating or, or sorry updating chunks but not updating and refreshing the world we've been using the same seed on the sizzle for three and a half years now um, but when i see numbers like 1024 in either direction uh depending on what they can achieve depending on what decisions are made that has me a little concerned for the sizzle for anyone out there that has big forever worlds you know where they they have invested a lot of time and the idea of starting over is just not really in their wheelhouse and i hope that there's a way for those players to continue on and get the new features of 117 and not have there be skyscraper like you know world chunk borders because uh, really the only solution that i can think of off the top of my head since the snapshot came out uh, has been to 
keep the server we already use command blocks to teleport to different realms with different themes like medieval or modern city and they're you know ten thousand blocks away from one another uh i guess the solution would be to pretend as if we've got you know uh, a new world and just teleport you know several tens of thousands you know hundreds of thousands of blocks away uh and just go there and start anew with new terrain generation and just kind of see what happens uh, i'm wondering what mojang might be able to do with new chunk versus old chunk and if there's a way even if it's i mean maybe with this new uh, mountain generation there might be a smoother terrain gen because if that's possible you might be able to say okay well this is a new chunk with the new world height and this is an old chunk and granted there's going to be some problems where there might be some some void uh in the old chunks in the new chunks if you could smooth that transition maybe have it only happen in oceans you know like you have to have an ocean between old chunks and new chunks that would minimize i think player uh we'll say not fe well feedback <laughs> negative player feedback when you've got skyscrapers of of chunks coming up into your in your long-term world it seems like something they're probably thinking very carefully about yeah um, and and uh, i know they're approaching all of the world height change stuff with a certain sense of you know it might happen it might not happen there are various i think both technical reasons for you know device compatibility but also technical in terms of how do we accommodate players who want to keep a a longer world and i know i for one having used the same world in the survival guide for nigh on three years i think are um i i think folks like me are thinking yeah we're probably going to reset because just having immediate access to caving from the early game onwards is going to be quite an exciting thing when caves are so different for us but um yeah it'll it'll remain to be seen um I, as far as like the timeline for stuff like legacy goes logic do you guys have you guys talked about that yet or is it still too far away for deciding what you're going to do when new terrain starts coming in I think I think honestly it's too far away at the moment. We have talked about it. I mean, we've got a few options. I mean, obviously we could start a new world. We could stay in the world we're currently in. We could and just kind of play as we are now. We could also move to a different area of the same world and kind of start with you know no, no tools that kind of thing. So there's a various options. I think we're just gonna we're just gonna see see how it how it pans out and just you know, when when one point seventeen comes out, we're just gonna see where we are and then and then decide from there. I think. Yeah, I, th I think at this point we just don't have enough information yeah. to decide one way or the other. So kind of mm -hmm. makes sense really moving on into email uh, we have a couple of uh, messages this week but i think we only have time for just the one during the main show stay tuned for the render distance for the answer to number two uh john you want to grab this one yes uh we're gonna have this one email from paul bow baggins <laughs> it's a great name uh, he's a landscape artist member of our discord thanks so much for the email paul bow uh this one is uh the subject is a possible copper solution it says, hey guys, uh, I had an idea for how to automate copper. If you went very far away from an area where you might be, you could set up a chunk loader that would load an area where you placed copper down. You could then have an observer that will shut the chunk loader off once the copper reaches a certain stage, and then you could come back to wax the copper. I became a landscape artist supporter on Patreon recently, have really enjoyed the community. Don't get oxidized, Paul Bo Baggins. Uh, P.S. If you're interested, fully oxidized copper is called copper hydroxycarbonate. And I, I'm quite glad they didn't go with that name, <laughs> considering we already have waxed, lightly weathered, cut copper stairs uh, to deal with. Uh, making it any more complicated might just fry my brain. Um, so... I guess, uh, yeah, technical guest on the show may as well ask you right away, Logic. Do you have any ideas for uh, solutions for farming 
the the oxidation stages of copper because we've seen a lot of people talk about how difficult it's going to be to remember to come back 50 minecraft days later and find out if your copper is oxidized or not yeah so i, I had to I actually had to, to double check the kind of mechanics of this so it looks like um you don't need to have a player nearby so it, it doesn't rely on random ticks so you just need uh, the chunks loaded uh, for the for the oxidization stages to happen um there are four, there are four stages and it takes between 52 and 80 in-game days for each stage. So it's going to take a very long time for anything to change. Um, so you could use um, a chunk loader, as uh, as uh, as Pilbo said. Um, you could also put them into spawn chunks as well, which, which just might be easier. Um, that might not be, uh, depending on what you've got built up there, you might not want to do that. Um, so you could use you could use like um, either a long clock to kind of make sure that you're, you've, you've passed um, the longest stage possible. Um, the other thing you can use is, like you said, like an observer, but you'd have to have a counter as well to count all of the stages so of each change. Um, but then, of course, only the blocks you're looking at are the ones that would have changed to the full the full stage. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess probably I would say put it in the spawn trucks is probably the easiest thing and then just come back at the right time <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then they're all done, yeah. How would you set up a clock of that length? Because fifty-two in-game days is a bit longer than the average like hopper clock kind of length. Yeah, probably probably have a like a daylight sensor so you can count each day, and then have then you can have um, that that activate um, items into a dropper, and then when it gets to a certain fill level, then you can kind of shut it off. So. There you go. There you go. That's the galaxy brain move. That makes a lot of sense, and and probably probably a little bit more easier than you know having a seven segment LED countdown <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, I mean you could do that if you wanted to go all out, but yeah. <laughs> I kind of wonder, like, I I appreciate that a chunk loader or a spawn chunks or you know a daylight counter is a player solution for this, but again, like not every player is even you know that savvy with redstone to to tackle that kind of thing i'm i'm thinking mojang still has to come up with a slightly more accessible way for the player to be able to choose the oxidation oxidation level of their copper yeah we we've we talked about this i think last show or the show before saying players don't like leaving blocks in their builds which are then meant to change over time you want to have the palette accessible to you so mm. you know that your build is going to stay that way so that's why we're all talking about farming the different stages of copper before we build with it instead of just building a roof out of copper and seeing what it does in 50 to 80 days time uh so it, it's kind of an odd conundrum um it, it's also worth noting as going back to the more technical side of things that if you want to load chunks without needing a chunk loader i think the idea here was that the chunk loader could then shut off after a certain point so that the copper would effectively freeze in time until you went back to look at it which is quite a neat idea um but you can always use the force load command to load an area of the world that isn't the spawn chunks so if on a server you know or with the consent of the admins or on your single player world you wanted an area where copper was that wasn't necessarily in the spawn chunks but still like a a copper aging field you can always use that force chunk uh, force load command but again you've got to be a little bit more concerned about the impact that's going to have on the uh like the the running of the server mm. i wonder if maybe just another just a, a, another suggestion um, could be that i wonder if the copper could react differently in different dimensions so like like for example when you put down a, a wet sponge in the nether it dries instantly because obviously it's really hot Maybe so. Maybe either the, the nether or the end. Maybe that has a different level of oxygen in the in the in the air. Let's say, 
and maybe just the fact of putting down a copper block would change it maybe or something like or it's or it's a or it's a quicker change around than the the long kind of uh, 80 days uh, for each stage I, maybe i don't think we've had that suggestion before joel that's actually pretty good i, I yeah. think having having the different dimensions i imagine the end is probably the one that would preserve it for longer because the end is sort of like a moon-like environment for the most part so you wouldn't expect there to be a lot of oxygen there um but maybe yeah if if the nether aged copper faster but then again you've also got to be in the nether for longer for the mm. copper to age unless it takes like a few minutes so that's that's a, an interesting balance but i wonder if they would be uh, be open to considering that one that would be interesting in the nether because then you're basically putting the pe the player in peril like because the nether is not necessarily a fun place to hang out if you don't <laughs> yeah. have a you know a shelter to do that so you know like if it was say faster to, to convert in the nether but it meant hanging out there and dealing with ghasts and you know piglins and all that kind of stuff uh, there's a, a risk reward involved at that point yeah 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 i was actually just thinking about i mean and this is this is a little bit too much of an easy button because i don't think it's a very mojang thing to do but uh, if at the end of the day you have completely oxidized copper if you can then use that and combine that back with normal copper and use that to craft the various stages you still have to wait like you still have to wait the 50 to 80 days or 52 to 80 in-game days to do it um, but it gives you a little bit too like gives you more control but that also kind of feels like kind of like a an easy button you know for for this kind of a thing not not as what i'm feeling mojang is intending with the with the addition of the new block yeah the the great copper debate continues <laughs> but uh <laughs> i i think we've delayed too long we need to get to these skulk sensors because of course they are a very very exciting feature so going back over the uh, snapshot change log we have not just the fact that they emit redstone when you get near them and that that's a variable signal depending on how close the source of the vibration is but they also have this incredible interaction with comparators that effectively turns them into action detectors is the best way i can think of it um that came out of nowhere like this wasn't mentioned at all in the preamble to, to skulk sensors this is something that has only been added in this snapshot and we'd never really heard of before so i don't know about you guys that pretty much blew me away it was so much more depth than i expected mm. from this feature to begin with and i already thought it was going to be a game changer as far as you know wireless redstone player detector kind of stuff so logic how how excited are you for skulk sensors i am beyond excited i'm super excited <laughs> so i think it kind of reminds me of when the observer first came out um it's one of those one of those really good sand sandbox kind of uh kind of mechanics kind of blocks right it's very simple in in concept you know you can explain it in a sentence but it's got so much depth with the with the uh the range detection and also detecting the different actions using the frequency um you know different you know players of different levels can get different out different things out of it you know even beginner players can get something out of it even over to the very advanced redstone masters can also get something out of it so i think that's a really well designed uh, block and so far it looks looks amazing yeah so when skulk sensors were first announced I, I wanted to bring this up and it's one of the reasons that i thought you'd be an ideal guest for the show is a couple of creators got hold of a skulk sensor mod that was made by somebody called opisec and that reproduced the behavior of the sensors based on just the appearance and the mechanics that were showcased at minecraft live um, so now you've had a chance to play around with both versions, the uh, the Opposec version and Mojang's 
actual vanilla implementation how do they compare was there stuff that surprised you aside from i think the the comparative behavior wouldn't have been in there but were there some things that work differently um yeah so with with the mod so opisex mod so first of all it's really it's a really well implemented mod it was it was really done well and it kind of really matched what we knew at the time based on the what we saw at minecon um, but it worked based on the, the sound engine of the game so whenever there was a sound that would trigger um uh, the the, uh, the uh, detection um so from that and obviously there weren't any there wasn't any sort of distance detection there wasn't any frequency it was just like on or off if there was a sound nearby um now that gave us some interesting things we, we could do apart from the obvious stuff we'll which we'll talk about which covers like with the the, the uh, sculpts we've got now um you could do some things with with how game sounds work in relation to the player so for example uh mobs only make a sound if they're within 16 blocks of you and then uh blocks make a sound if they're 48 blocks uh, within 48 blocks of you so you could do some really long range sort of player detection using that um so that's something you can't do well you can do it we'll probably talk about that later on but it works it basically works differently um so you've got you had, you had some options there um there was one contraption i built that was i thought was quite interesting uh, with the the mod in that you can you know when you have flying machines basically in like you can have them sweepers in your in like farms and whatnot um a lot of the time with those things you have to be careful when they unload because they can just break if you just leave the area so i had a little contraption where the the flying machine would go backwards and forwards but it was only activated by the skulk sensor when it heard the piston firing now when you moved away from it once you got to 48 blocks away the piston no longer made any sound and so it would automatically stop just when you moved away so you wouldn't even need to remember to turn it on or off it would automatically do that um so you can't do that with the current skull sensors I, I actually tried it there's no they basically always work as long as they're loaded so it's, it doesn't it, there's no range um if the player's nearby or not so that's like a difference uh so there's definitely some differences but that that mod that we we, we tried out i think I, I did a video on it mumbo did one or two as well um it was a really good way to kind of get an idea of it um but now we've got the real the real thing yeah i'm super excited to really get stuck into it yeah and i i kind of based my initial look at skulk sensors when i got them in the snapshot on your mod showcase and so i was really surprised putting a pig down next to the thing and then it grunts and nothing happens and yeah. you only start to see mob behavior affecting skulk sensors when they move around and it's picking yep. up the the vibrations of the the footfall of the mob and i find it kind of weird that sounds and vibrations are treated differently because sounds are vibrations and this is like the audio engineer in me coming back out and saying like <laughs> hang on a minute guys like we're we're talking much more like motion detection than we are audio detection here mm. despite the fact that they are effectively the same thing but you can maybe give the argument that you know it's feeling the vibrations of the th the sound through the earth around it mm. until you get like a floating button on a block and it's detecting the position of that as well and it, it obviously they had to draw the line somewhere otherwise like every horse whinny from 20 blocks away was going to going to pick up or something but i think it's uh, it's an interesting distinction to make and a i think a good way to draw the line once everybody understands that that's the mechanic mm. um and the range of stuff they can pick up with the comparator stuff is is pretty wild um my brain immediately went to um first of all traps on multiplayer servers becoming incredibly difficult to avoid and i think a lot of people are going to use these for traps because they're such an easy way of somebody gets close to it redstone signal tnt goes off or you know piston pit you fall in lava kind of thing um but 
I think there's so much more potential for things like mini games with this, and and not just you know parkour mini games. You get too close to it, it retracts a block and you fall. There's going to be, you know, more more interesting implementations of it. If if a a block can detect whether you're firing a bow or using a fishing rod, and it knows the difference between those two, then that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's got really, especially for mini games. You say mini games. I was thinking about that as well. There's so many, so much potential uh, you could do with that. Um, so one thing you can do as well, if you if you use three skulk sensors, you can triangulate. You can use all three to triangulate the exact block that a vibration originates from. So and then in 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 conjunction with the frequencies, you can then and imagine that as part of a mini game. You can then detect a player doing an exact, well, pretty much an exact action on an exact block. So that really gives you some you know, massive control for for mini games. It's going to be brilliant. With- without any of it being wired up with actual redstone wire as well yeah, so exactly. you, you yeah. can tell which button somebody places somebody presses in a room full of buttons and the buttons aren't even connected to anything yeah, exactly it's gonna, it's gonna be wild i'm just you know i mean yeah i'm, I'm raring to uh, to get on that uh, get on that train um but as well i mean the, the whole technical community you know just imagine the kind of thing that they can come up with it's gonna be brilliant absolutely uh before we get too deep into that joel what are your thoughts on uh on skulk sensors so far have you had a chance to play around with them I have. And speaking of things like mini games, uh, which is where I wanted to lean with them as well. Uh, one of the things that I think would be really neat because of how much time and how much care they've put into the new block sounds and the new game sounds and the latest updates in, in Minecraft. Uh, I think that it would be cool if, you know, with regards to vibrations, and we already know that the skulk sensor detects footsteps, uh, if what you're walking on would make a difference. And I'm not saying every block has to be different, but we've got some pretty unique things like soul sand, bone block, the new uh, amethyst blocks. They make very unique noises when you're standing on them. And I think it'd be really cool if you could use those uh, to create a certain signal, uh, I guess they call them frequencies, uh, with the skulk sensor. Because I mean, again, just like minigame, like think hopscotch, where you've got to jump on only the blocks that keep you safe. You know, and and if you step on the wrong one, then that's the end of the game. You know, like or or you get bonus points for doing this parkour course or running this particular race if you stay on the bone blocks. But if you don't, then you have to. You know, you you get less points or something, uh, or or more obstacles are put in your way. Uh, I I like how quickly the skulk sensors react. Uh, I was playing around with mostly the wireless redstone stuff, which I think is just neato. It's it's just fun. Uh, to see that kind of thing and the range is short so like when you're thinking about running a very long redstone wire if you don't need it to be wireless it's going to be more efficient to just run the redstone wire with repeaters Uh, what's the biggest problem that I have with running redstone is going up and if you don't care that it's going to make a little twaddle noise then by just having the redstone flap a trapdoor and seven blocks above that have a skulk sensor to send the redstone signal into something else or avoid an obstacle or whatever it is, it becomes a little, well, it becomes a lot easier to fit redstone into more aesthetic builds without having to worry about like, oh, well, I have this giant three by three or this torch tower or whatever it is, and I have to encase it and hide it and try to tuck it into my build, especially if you're trying to tweak something that already exists. You know, you're trying to add some secret room, but you've already built the house that kind of stuff. I think skulk sensors could be could be fun in that way. Um, the other thing that I think kind of 
grabbed me was the um the wool uh dampening function i i it's it's neat and and it's a little bit tricky right now because angles are kind of funny they do kind of block sometimes but not as often as you'd think uh but i i i was watching one of mumbo's videos where he created this wireless relay and it was three by one and as long as you wanted to make it and the signal would go down and come back and because he put wool blocks between the skulk sensors vertically they didn't set one another off and create any kind of clock loop and it just it was really really cool to just watch that happen and have those possibilities you know kind of like open up to you so i mean logic with regards to farming or switches or not so much trap related but like you know practical uses for for skulk sensors like what kind of comes to your mind um probably like when it comes to i, I like what you said there about like the more aesthetic builds uh like starting off on that stuff um like sometimes i've like created a farm for example with an on-off switch and i'm down at the bottom but it's got to go all the way to the top to you know turn on some lights or whatnot and having like you know long redstone signals or or some other some other um, thing to transmit that signal can be a bit ugly so with the wireless stuff although you although the range isn't that long you're going to need a few of them you know a few steps of them to to move up there it gives you more options to kind of hide that stuff so that's great um in terms of farming i'm not sure they're really going to help that much with like farms because i was thinking um and i kind of looked at this when i was doing the the previous video with the with the mod that we had um, whether you could use them to trigger like um like mob farms that kind of thing but the thing is because they work off of uh, the mobs wandering you as long as you're you could use it like in like if you're if you've got like a, a witch farm for example so when when it detects that there's a witch moving around but it would only do it once one when the witch moves so if you're if you don't want to make it super efficient then you could use it for that for triggering that but we've already got designs that would be more efficient so it depends where you're coming from if you want to do something that's fun that that just waits for them to move around and then trigger something and then gets them then that that would be good um but if you want to make something efficient, it won't. I don't think it's going to like revenue. It's not going to um, really change how that how that stuff works. Um, but there's probably some niche. There's probably some like some real niche kind of cases. Like I was looking through the list of all the frequencies. Um, it detects when a dog shakes. When it get you know a dog gets wet. When it tries to dry itself, it shakes. So it can detect that. So you can use that to detect when the rains when rainfall stops. So if that's something you you want to you want to do, that might be interesting. Um, there's some fun stuff you can do. So, for example, it, it, it will detect when you when you cast your fishing rod. So, I can imagine on like a multiplayer server, like you you got you might have like a lake. You can have like some some signs up saying no no fishing. And then if you if you detect someone um, casting a line, then you know <laughs> set up some kind of trap to to teach them a lesson that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think there's yeah it's got so much potential. Uh, yeah, I think the the main thing that we're really gonna see. For for widespread adoption of this, it just has to be um, a farmable in the first place. Like you have to be able to acquire a decent amount of these things if you want to use them, and then b how accessible it's going to be. Considering that all we know about them right now is that they exist in a deep dark environment with a creature that can kill you very easily, uh, and and can hear you breaking blocks and various things like that. I think some of the some of the behavior we see from skulk sensors can also be applied to what we can understand the warden's behavior to be like so we can maybe start using this as a way of preparing strategies i think joel was talking about um you know walking around on certain types of blocks mm. and most of the time you can hide from skulk sensors when you sneak but 
I think it would be kind of cool if walking around on wool, considering that wool is like the nullifying block for skulk sensors, I think it'd be cool if your your footsteps on wool were muffled as well. Yeah. Um, I was, I was just going to say, I think that's that was something I was going to touch on because there was there's a couple of like issues that I've found so far that I think maybe that's one of the possible solutions. So one of the issues, the main issue that I've found so far, is that um, even if you're sneaking, placing a block will trigger the skulk sensor. Now that now the face of it that sounds okay, right? Because it's just one of the frequencies it detects. But the thing is, when you're building a contraption using a skulk sensor, imagine put you, you put a skulk sensor down first, then you run, then you put down your comparator, it's going to trigger. Then you put down a bit of redstone, it's going to trigger. But that kind of reminds me of when observers first came out. When you place an observer, it also triggered. And if you didn't place the observers in the correct order, like especially if you've got like pistons, the pistons would end up dropping their blocks and stuff. So you'd end up breaking the thing again and rebuilding it again. So I think I think we need to have some kind of way of being able to build a contraption using a skulk sensor, but without it triggering. Um, so obviously one option is to just put the skulks in last once you've built everything else. Um, but even so, like think about it in survival. You're going to be standing on something. You're going to be dropping down. You know, you're going to be breaking blocks to get it. You're know, breaking your scaffold in to get away from the, the thing. So you, you've got a, a high chance at the moment of it being triggered without, you know, when you don't want it to be. So I think either if you're you know, standing on the wall block, it, you know, nothing, there's no, um, no, no frequencies should happen if you're standing on a wall block. You know, so if you're placing blocks that maybe can, can muffle the sound or maybe if you're wearing a, a certain a piece of armor like if you've got like um um some boots on that are made of leather maybe anything you do there doesn't trigger any kind of vibrations just like that doesn't really work with the physics of the thing but it's just something to give us some some kind of control um over that i think that's that's the thing i think that could be frustrating um i don't know what, what do you guys think about that joel yeah, I I would say that the leather boot thing would be a good way to go because um players are not going to want to wear them. Like there's a sacrifice there, right? Like it's they're they're not as good as your netherite or diamond or even iron boots. Uh and so there's a sacrifice there for that. They're also part of the caves and cliffs update in terms of how they deal with um powdered snow. So there could be a crossover there. Uh I like the idea because uh wool is already used for dampening the sound and wool has a unique sound when it's placed uh wool and carpet i think are the only two things that make the sound when you put you know put down the block when you pick up the block whatever it is i'm wondering if all wool things could just not activate the the skulk sensor that way if you did have a skulk sensor up in the air and you had to you know remove your scaffolding if you just made like an eight block you know single column out of wool and then you know um used used your shears or whatever it is to 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 mine that back up on your way back down then you're good you know that because you've used wool in this one very specific case you're not going to set off the uh the skulk sensor and again yeah. players are not going to walk around with a stack of wool you know mm. just yes, in I case think, yeah. you know people people might end up doing that and and well, I, I think this this is one of the things that i really enjoy about some of the new features recently is them providing new uses for old blocks like wool is as old as time in minecraft wool has yes. been around since like pre-alpha and so like the changes to campfires where they can now interact with bee nests and like you know some rabbit hide now being useful for making bundles i think adding this functionality to wool suddenly makes wool way more valuable than it was and it was pretty valuable before as a building block as a resource for beds and 
all of that kind of stuff really starts to fold back into it in a way that still makes sense. I've not seen anybody argue that there should be a new block in the game that does this instead of wool, right? So I think right. it's a it's a, a really neat way of of making certain things relevant again and, and recontextualizing them in the game. So I, I have no real problem with that. But then yeah, if it if it comes along with player actions being interrupted like from what i can tell playing around with these when you place a wool block it doesn't trigger the mm. sensor yeah so that itself it, it, the the wool you know muffles the sound around the sensor but just placing a wool block does not make a noise but then you've also got to be careful to sneak and i don't know if breaking the wool block still triggers a noise or you know how how many of those different factors play into accidentally activating a contraption that you've made yeah, and I mean that could even go back into like a mini game. Like, imagine this giant maze with no walls of, you know, wool, you know, a, a wool track, and you just have to try to get through it as fast as you can. Run at full speed. There's nothing keeping you from falling off the wool, you know. But the moment that you do, it'll trigger a, a sensor because you know you're you're on solid blocks. If the wool was, you know, um, muffling your footsteps and stuff. Uh, I I was thinking too that speaking of the sounds and dampening them. As cool as it is, and as unique as it is, I think if I was having a lot of skulk sensors around my base, it would start to get a little irritating here, the little wobble. Uh, <laughs> every every time you got near one, uh, I think that might be a little bit annoying. Uh, but I, again, I'm only speaking from like guesswork. I'm not, I haven't obviously spent, you know, a, a, an afternoon in a base with a bunch of skulk sensors. But I'm wondering again, maybe placing the skulk sensor on a wool block would also mean that it would be silent but i'm wondering if that then is a concern that mojang has because if they're going to be used for traps if they're going to be used for player detection if it's then a silent player detector does it become overpowered like having the player be able to hear that little wobble might indicate to them like either one yay i've done a good job of the mini game and that i've solved it or two uh oh <laughs> i just triggered the thing and i have how like a second to to react and then sometimes you know in a, in a pvp or a or a, a multiplayer server where that kind of behavior in play is encouraged like that could mean the difference between you know saving all of your items and not and and i feel like um while i from an aesthetic standpoint it would be nice to not have this weird little noise happen all the time uh it works in maybe a sci-fi build sort of <laughs> um but yeah, I, I don't know about the noise happening all the time. It's the same reason why at like things like my Enderman farm and uh, my storage system in my big swamp mine, uh, the dropper that puts all of the items into the system is 15 blocks away from where I stand because I don't want to hear the constant click <laughs> uh, of the dropper uh, bringing things into the sorting system or sending the ender pearls on their way. As you're sitting there at the, at the Enderman farm, the Endermen are loud enough. You can turn those down, you know? So I'm wondering if there could be some more control given to the player over um, like the sound that it actually makes. I think you're also going to find situations in which these are very tricky to fit in around a lot of other stuff that can potentially make noise. You know, you don't want to install some sort of carefully crafted skulk sensor powered detector when a random mob wandering by is going to set it off <laughs> or you know a, a dispenser or like pistons firing in your sugarcane farm is suddenly going to to set this thing off from a different angle that you hadn't anticipated and so 
I think keeping them with a shorter range is still good, but I wonder how many accidents are going to happen because of, you know, odd circumstances that the players can't necessarily control. Yeah, um, like my happy birthday Johnny fireworks display is triggered when logic walks by too close to the skulk sensor. <laughs> you know, I wasn't anticipating someone to come up the alley from between the garbage cans and like that, you know, that tweaks it, right? Like that would be frustrating for sure surprise birthday there you go um before we before we wrap up our discussion here i want to talk about the specific like the the long table and there are about 30 different uh vibration frequencies that they have put in this table in the change log that detail exactly which sounds and which actions rather because i've been told i've been told several times in 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 strongly worded comments that these are not sounds they are vibrations um which which of these look like they kind of stand out to you and the overlap between them is kind of interesting i think to me like think things like um obviously like opening and closing a chest gives off dif different frequencies that makes a lot of sense but then uh opening a chest also gives off the same frequency uh, or the, the same uh comparator signal strength as uh pressing a button or attaching a block to something or uh you know pulling a switch or something like that do you do you foresee any issues where people are going to be tripped up by overlapping actions that way and is there a better way that you think these could be uh delineated so it's a little bit more separate logic what do you think yeah that's a good question i've just got to look in front i've got the list in front of me I just want to looking through the list and i think i think generally it looks quite good i think there's there there are a few a few signal strengths that seem to get overloaded like like 10 and 11 seem to have a lot of numbers next to them Whereas like one and two and three and four and five only have one item, wait one 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 type of frequency. Um, so I think maybe if we could sort of separate those things and make them make them things that are unlikely to happen at the same yeah you know, in the same area, if that makes sense. So like if you've got so you've got press you know if you've got two two things that are likely to happen but on the same frequency, that's probably not a great not great. Um, but I think what maybe it might be nice, like instead of like we've got uh, steps, the footsteps is at one, where it gives you a, a signal strength of one. It might be good to be able to delineate at least players from mobs. So at least then you can say you kind of get get rid of that um, that thing about things triggering without you know, without you 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 know, when you don't want it to. So if you could say you know players are a one, but mobs are a two, for example, because we only have flapping wings for a two, and I think at the moment only bees will trigger that. Um, so maybe if maybe mobs walking could be two, I think that would be a good, a good thing. Um, and you could even separate that down to hostile mobs versus passive mobs, for example, if you wanted to, if you wanted to have this incorporated with some kind of mob detection. Um, you know, if you're in your base and you've got zombies coming towards you, or if you're near a village and you want to be warned if there's zombies on the way, um, it could be good to be able to delineate that, that I think. I'm also quite confused that they've split up starting eating and finishing eating. I'm, I'm sort of I'm, I'm confused why you need to do both of those because surely one must start eating in order to finish so when is there going to become a point where you finishing eating is really gonna matter i guess like again in in niche mini game kind of things where it gives off a certain signal strength like if you're able to finish eating something five times in a row then it only triggers a door to open once you've done that but mm. It seems a little bit strange to me to go that detailed with things that aren't always going to have, you know, separate actions involved. Like, and and projectiles shooting and projectiles landing is 
one that I think works because you can shoot something, but obviously if it lands really far away and the skulk sensor over there is picking up a different signal, then you can use that for you know player versus player kind of defend the castle mini games or something like that but i i think i think some of these seem like incredibly niche to the point where like why is this occupying such a specific space on the table yeah it's the same with the press block and unpress block and it's something that i thought was nicely thought out was the fact that if you press a button specifically a wooden button because it's the longer of the two uh, the skulk sensor is not activated by both the press and the unpress if you're focusing on the single skulk sensor uh, because the skulk sensor is activated and has that active will not receive extra signals for about two seconds and that's long enough for the button to unpress make its second noise and or vibration pardon me uh, and not trigger the skulk sensor a second time which i like um, so then you have to be very specific if you want things to happen on the press or on the release of of the button uh and i've i've only ever heard of these in like very specific like video game controls and i'm always just like no i want the press <laughs> like i'm always on the press guy you know uh when it comes to the control that kind of stuff so i yeah i'm not i agree that there's some overlap stuff and also um i think logic your idea of separating mobs from players is great because as i was doing notes for the show this week i was playing around in a, in a snapshot world and I had, you know, obviously minimized it and I was doing my own thing. And a pig kept on walking by the skulk sensors that I had <laughs> set up just because, I mean, I wasn't being super careful with them. But it, like I had to go and like mute Minecraft because they were just constantly going off both the trapdoors and the skulk sensors. And the pig just wouldn't leave the area, right? <laughs> it was like, they're going to have to be encased in wool at all times if that's the case. Yeah, I can I can just see, I can see the YouTube videos coming out. It's going to be mistakes with skulk sensors. It's going to be you know, some guy <laughs> building this complicated contraption with TNT and whatnot. And he's just finished and a pig walks by and explodes. <laughs> I could just see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You already sure. have um you already have stone pressure plates only being able to detect players and mobs instead of all entities as well, mm. right? So there is there is sort of precedent for there being redstone contraptions that can tell a little bit more between, you know, players and other other entities. And so I think maybe, yeah, having having it split up is is a really good idea. Uh, is there anything else that you feel like is missing from this list? Because I can think of one example, um, which is the jukebox. I would really like it to be able to detect when a music disc starts playing, which again is is more kind of ambient sound than it is, um, you know, vibration as such. So I can understand that it's sort of more like a sound effect playing in game, but it's pretty universal. You know, it, it's it's not like players are going to be hearing different things when one player puts on a record in a multiplayer server anyone within a radius hears the same thing and jukeboxes themselves have quite a large radius before you stop hearing the music so i sort of wonder if that could be a fun way of triggering these things at longer range but it would be a really weird exception if you did but might also add some more value to jukeboxes and music discs yeah one thing i watched the mumbo's video um about it and he tried something that was interesting he tried to grow a tree and if you think about what they're saying with uh, the skulk sensor detects vibration, it's movement. So when you grow a tree with some bone meal, is that movement or is it just the tree appearing? So should that should that generate some vibration? You know, a tree growing. Maybe it should. Maybe that's something we should add to the list. Yeah, that'll be that'll be really interesting for 
tree farms and stuff like that mm. as well again it probably wouldn't replace current tree farming mechanics in terms of efficiency but for more natural tree farms where you don't bone meal it and you just let a tree grow it could at least let you know that the tree you're waiting to grow has grown or something like that there, there could be some interesting implications there and i guess trees don't make any sound for the player now mm. when they grow but maybe they should i i sort of like the idea of there being like a noise of roots burrowing into the ground but might be quite a challenge for the sound designers we'll see yeah it, it's funny you know because when i first started playing minecraft and i was doing the manual tree farming you're planting all these saplings i would frequently get punched in the face with a tree growing underneath me <laughs> and and it hasn't happened in a long time because i don't have to harvest wood in that way quite as often but I remember it would happen quite a lot to the point where I'm just like, this is, how do I avoid this? This is scaring the crap out of me. Like it's startling, you know, when a, when a tree pops up in the middle of, of your, of your view. Uh, something that I thought was, was interesting that was missing was they have something where it's dispenser or a dispense failed. There's no mention of droppers and there's no distinction between a successful dispenser or a successful or unsuccessful dropper. And as far as the wireless redstone kind of thing goes where you you see players using trapdoors to send a signal with a skull you know down a line i think that it would be nice to be able to power a uh, a dropper because it's a much more subtle click it's less offensive if you're going to have a lot of this stuff happening in your base having a bunch of clicking happening in the background is a little bit different than a trapdoor or a piston like just doing their thing which is uh, quite a bit we'll say more intrusive from a sound design sort of way I think that seems like a good place to wrap up the discussion, um, but we've obviously got a lot that we're dealing with here, and I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be uh, very excited by Skulk Sensors. If you are one of those people, feel free to write into the show, because we'd love to get some feedback on these as a feature now that they are out there. And once again, we're going to be hearing another email from another listener in the render distance, the extended version of the show. But that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Logic, it's been a pleasure having you back on the show. Uh, where can people go if they want to see or hear more of you? Well, everything is under Logical Geek Boy. So youtube.com slash logical geek boy twitter.com and twitch all, all under all under the same name and also i encourage people to check out legacy so leg the legacy website is legacysmp.com. um go over there check out all the other members um check out some of the videos as well and all the interactivity we've got there yeah it's a real fun time Marvel at the advancement leaderboards and cheer Logic on <laughs> yeah. as he aims to be first. Uh, you can find more information about the Spawn Chunks podcast and links to some of the stuff we talked about today and all of Logical Geek Boy's social links, of course, at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. Also get gets us closer to our next milestone goal of a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where you can hear vibrations from me and Joel talking about what we've been doing in Minecraft and you can send a few back our way as well. Uh, we're currently at 218 patrons, which is breaking even from last week. Thank you, everybody, for sticking around. And special thanks to our content engineers, General Pattern 82 Greener Canuck, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, hey, 
you should listen to the Spawn Chunks and then tell them where they can go to listen. Where is that? You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or really wherever you find your podcasts. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS link is at thespawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy new wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Another quick plug, uh, this week uh, the episode of the Live Feed podcast that I guested on was published. I talked to Chris and Graham over there about setting up your ideal streaming environment, not just the equipment involved, but the stream room itself and decorating and everything that helps you feel more creative. So you can check that out, live feed podcast on Twitter or wherever you get your podcasts. Outside of that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can find my other podcast, all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, at thecitadelcafe.com, or you can follow me on social media at joelduggan. I am very easy to find. And just like it says in the tin, Twitch is also joelduggan, and I am currently very deep into this Minecraft medieval world and enjoying it quite a lot. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it's picking up good vibrations. (laughs) 